If you're looking to sell your private company stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. With more than $4 billion in company-approved transactions, SharesPost is the leading marketplace for private company shares. To learn more, visit us at sharespost.com slash equity. Hello and welcome back to Equity. I'm TechCrunch's Kate Clark. This week, I am with Alex Wilhelm of Crunchbase News. How's it going today, Alex? Very, very good. Excited about all this and enjoying the sun out here on the East Coast. And I, I am missing you in the studio today because it is, I think, the very last one out of 410. Is that right? Yeah. So last week, we said it was our last one recording all together, uh, Chris, Alex, and I. But this week is uh, my last recording in the studio as Alex is in Providence. So uh, next week, we'll be with you um, from a brand new spot. I have not seen the new podcast studio. I have no idea what to expect, but um, hoping it's nicer than this uh, little um, cave. It's not. Okay, it's, it's a cave-ish. It's kind of nice. There are chairs and a table. It used- there is exposed brick, which I really like. <laughs> so I'll miss the exposed brick. <laughs> it's very Soma rustic, if you will. It is indeed. All right. Well, let's get going. We have a few really good topics to get into today that I'm excited to talk about. But first, let's just do a quick little IPO update. Alex, why don't you lead the way? Yeah. So I just wanted to go ahead and call out a couple of companies that we have talked about on the show over the last couple of months, really, just to provide a little bit of kind of continuing context. We often cover a company before it was public during its IPO, and then we kind of drop it and we move on to new shinier things. But there's some interesting stuff going on, uh, chief of which is that Luck and Coffee which we've written about, or sorry, spoken about on the show um, since its early fundraising days, is actually now below its uh, IPO price, if I'm reading this uh, stock chart correctly. So that's a fascinating little data point. Uh, recall that Luckin and Fastly went out on the same day, uh, priced well and generally did well, uh, but are now struggling. Oh, sorry, Luckin's struggling. Fastly's doing fine. Uh, moving on, Uber is at about $41 a share, still down from its $45 per share IPO price. Lyft is off more sharply, $52.50 uh, as we come to you, uh, off its $72 IPO price. And that, I think, makes Lyft the bigger uh, dog of the two, if I'm doing my percentage calculations mm-hmm. correctly in my head. Uh, Pinterest is down to about $24.40 a share. Notably, it was up as high as $35 a share uh, post-IPO, but then its earnings report didn't have quite the goods that Wall Street was expecting, so it dropped from there. And finally, for me, Fastly, about twenty-two sixty a share, far up from its IPO price of $16. So from Fastly and Luckin, definitely a diverging set of results. Kate? I feel like I feel like at this point, we should just have an IPO slash public company podcast and a startups and venture capital podcast. Yes, but then we'd have to do two podcasts. And That's I used true. to do but that. The, the, it's not good. <laughs> There's There are so many companies going public. At what point are we going to stop checking in on them. Like, at what point is the list too big for us? Well, the good news is we are kicking off with some old school stuff to balance out all the IPO coverage. We are going to go not to the world of unicorns or decacorns or public markets, but instead all the way back to accelerators and uh, especially uh, Y Combinator, everyone's favorite and the most famous of all of them. Kate, what's going on? Okay. Yes, Alex. But before I talk about Y Combinator, I do want to quickly mention that Slack is actually going to go out... Um, under the ticker symbol work instead of what we had initially expected because they said they were going to do it um, SK. So kind of a weird semi-last minute change up because they are going public um, via direct listing on June 20th. Yeah. And also SK, I think is the name of a uh, South Korean telecom company. So I don't think they want to get conflated with that. Uh, But the little joke that everyone's making on Twitter is that Atlassian's ticker symbol is team and Slack's ticker symbol will be work. And if you put them together, you get work team. 
or something like that. <laughs> and uh, the problem is it's really what? terrible. And uh, if this is foreshadowing a merger, I'll cry. Teamwork? Yeah, teamwork. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's let's uh, segue into this uh, YC news of the let's week. Let's do it. So, We've talked a lot about Y Combinator on the podcast. It's the largest accelerator and highly, highly influential in Silicon Valley and beyond. Um, this week, they announced a, a brand new president. His name is Jeff, and he will be replacing Sam Altman, who had actually uh, transitioned out of a leadership role recently and is now permanently going to be sort of uh, disaffiliated with Y Combinator. So Sam Altman left his role of president to become CEO of OpenAI, which is a research outfit that is supported by some really big names and tech, including Elon Musk and Peter Thiel. Um, Altman had been part of YC for a really long time. He was uh, initially part of a, a cohort in 2005. He became a partner years later, and then he was eventually promoted to head of the organization, which he was for five years before um, you know, he decided to focus more on open AI. So Connie, actually, our, who's often a co-host on Equity, she sat down with Sam Altman and had a really great authentic interview that you can find on our website, where he talked kind of about the the role he played and in, in sort of changing YC to become this very large accelerator. Um, and then he also talked about his goals for open AI, which I thought, um, you know, there were some funny, funny quotes in that interview. Can we, can we pause and just tell people who don't live here that Sam Altman leaving YC is a changing of the guard in a material way? Because YC does, maybe is an overstatement, Kate, but kind of sets the tone for accelerators, both in Silicon Valley and outside of it. It's kind of the model people look up to. So to see it change leaders uh, could usher in some change that could reverberate throughout the global startup community. It's a it's a big deal, right. even though it sounds like a small personnel change. Totally. Like I think so when I wrote a story a few months back about YC moving to San Francisco full time, I had a lot of people be like, "Why are you even writing about that? That seems like very insignificant." But it actually these these small changes end up playing a really large role in the ecosystem um, because YC is responsible for incubating some really really notable large companies um, that play a huge role in Silicon Valley for years to come. So so I think the big takeaway here is we kind of wonder how will YC change now that it has fully different leadership with with Jeff Ralston on board as president. Um, you know, I don't know him personally, but I imagine he's going to take on a much different leadership style than Sam Altman, who like we like I said, he Sam Altman's was responsible for scaling YC so much over the last few years. He created several programs. Uh, you know, at the time when when Sam Altman became or was handed the reins. YC had just 67 companies that had graduated from the program. And, you know, the last cohort alone was more than 200 companies. So you can kind of see how much he was able to change YC. Not saying that was for the better. I don't know. But um, it will be interesting to see uh, how YC shrinks or expands under. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit uh, out of my head here, but I don't. YC didn't have a late stage fund before Sam's time at the at the group, I don't think. So that's kind of the sort of change that was brought in. And the way YC has funded companies has changed. They get more money now. Class sizes are bigger. Demo days are even more chaotic. Like it's, it's just a, a bigger and louder show. And I wonder if it's going to continue that way. But there were some notes in Connie's piece, Kate, that you and I were talking about before we hit record about how like, you know, ramen profitability was kind of like the old goal for graduates of YC. And now instead, people are really chasing, it, it seems from what we hear from investors and also media reports and just showing up, that it's much more trying to raise more money than before higher valuations, um, which is a bit of a change from how YC used to function in terms of startup results. Is that fair? I, 
Right, exactly. Like um, like you just mentioned, they were once going after ramen prop- profitability. At this point, a YC grad can f- fairly easily raise a couple million bucks right out the door. Uh, some raise a lot more than that right away. Um, and and it was, I thought it was interesting because Sam Altman actually told Connie that, quote, he would not have YC companies raise the amounts of money they raise or at the valuations they do. I do think it is on net bad for the startups, he said, which, you know, I would say Sam is really the reason why that's happening, at least because he's taken he's taken YC to these new extremes. I thought that was kind of funny to hear from, you know, essentially the person whose idea it was. Yeah, I mean, but a lot of this is also the fact that the markets have tilted towards uh, larger rounds early on, larger rounds later on. And so YC has had to also adapt with the times. Uh, and the cost of living has gone up in the Bay Area. So, of course, they need to put more money into these initial companies. Um but a big shift. I mean, we will uh, we will meet Jeff Ralston. We will talk to him. We will figure him out, and uh, maybe we'll talk him into coming on the show and you know try to get a, a better feel for him because we've all met Sam Altman before, uh, but now it's uh, a new leader. So I'm excited. Yeah, we should definitely have him on the show. Well, now I think we should talk about um, one of the bigger deals of the week. Now that we've kind of dove in deep on the uh, early stage ecosystem, might as well go downstream a little bit. Hey everyone, don't forget this episode is brought to you by Shares Post. Yeah, so DoorDash is raising, I should say. It's, it's, it hasn't actually closed this round yet as of the time we are taping. By the time you hear this, maybe it will be completed. But according to really everybody that kind of covers the, the world of technology and finance, DoorDash is raising more money. Now, if this sounds like a bit of a refresh, keep in mind that I think they raised their Series F in February of this year. I think that was a $400 million round at a seven. billion post-money valuation. So this is a pretty quick second round for the company. Um, Rumor has it, or reports indicate, that it could be between $500 and $750 million. So kind of flexible, unclear yet. And the valuation could be between $10 billion and $13 billion. And this is from the information and Bloomberg and a few other people. So it's going to be an enormous check into a company that's already very well capitalized and just raised money. And Kate, here's the thing that really caught my eye. If they were worth $7.1 billion in February, how in all that's holy, to pick a non-profane superlative there, uh, is it worth like $13 billion now? It just it strikes me as an insane bit of paper value creation that feels very bubblish, and I wanted to get your opinion on that. Right. I mean, I don't think there's any way it's worth $13 billion. Uh, and I mean, that's nearly double. And what, how much? Uh, three months First time? Month, yeah. yeah. I mean... I imagine, um, I think it's a mixture of DoorDash truly having really phenomenal growth rates and seeing a lot um, seeing a lot of uh, growth despite extreme, extreme competition in the last year or so. But I also think it's that um, coupled with a serious case of FOMO among investors. Tell me more about that. I'm curious. What, 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 yeah, I yeah. mean, it does kind of feel like... Every investor does want to get, um, you know, get a piece of some of these really bigger, bigger on-demand companies, and I think DoorDash, um, from what I've heard, is is truly the best mm. um, in the space in terms of like, you know, just pure financial projection projections. Um, so I also think that they have a really grounded, um, strong. CEO Tony. So I think that's a little bit of that. And I think for years we've seen investors, we've seen investors really go after all these different food delivery or on demand or meal kit companies. Um, and all of us, I think the whole time have been kind of puzzled by that. Yeah. Cause so when I was covering the DoorDash stuff, I was just kind of going around accreting and aggregating all the different news bits into one kind of report for, for my pub. And, uh, 
it reminded me a lot of the opposite of 2016. Because if you go back to 2016, DoorDash was trying to become a unicorn, I think, for the first time. And they raised at a valuation, I think it was like 700 million, not a billion. So they missed the unicorn threshold that time. And it's also the year that Spoon Rocket shut down. Uh, TechCrunch called the year the on-demand apocalypse. And I think that was the same year that Postmates raised at a flat valuation. So if you go back just three years ago, these companies were on the outs. And now on the flip side, Postmates has raised more, DoorDash has raised more, is raising more. Uh, it, it's it's a weird turnaround of events because the market doesn't feel materially different. People still eat food from cars. I don't know. Like, what, what's right, changed? Right, right. Right, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. I wonder if um, maybe global expansion has had a really big role in DoorDash's growth. I, I'm trying to think of what what could have changed. You know, maybe just since 2016. Obviously, not much, if anything, has changed since February, which is why that's just mind boggling that they would have have such a you know um, rapid increase in their valuation. But yeah, maybe maybe they've seen maybe they've just added a lot of global markets that have contributed to that. As far as Postmates, I mean. I I just worry. I just feel so bad for them. I just don't think the IPO is going to go well in the slightest. And DoorDash seems like, you know, they have a scale um, and they're at this size that I think they may still be able to get a lot of demand. But who? I mean, I I, so I actually had the other perspective. I had it flipped in my head. I'm like, Postmate seems fine. What's DoorDash doing? Yeah. Really? So oh man. I feel no like way. I feel like the problem here that I have is that I don't have enough data points to feel confident in anything that I feel about this space because it's so variable and so, I don't know, full of gyrations and change that it's hard hard to tell. But here's here's my thought, Kate. Uber just went public and we talked about it too much and we're not going to talk about it much today. I, we do apologize for how much we talked about it, but it was so much fun. And they have an enormous food delivery business uh, called Uber Eats and it has now been priced yep. essentially by the market. It's worth a fraction of Uber's market cap. Um, do you think that that has helped these other companies because now they can maybe kind of work out how Uber is being valued in terms of like food on demand gross bookings? Or is this just like Uber got a bunch more money and so people that compete with Uber for food delivery also now need to get a bunch more money? I can't decide if this feels bullish or reactive, if that makes sense. When when you say, do I think it helped? Do you mean, do I think it helped, like, say, DoorDash yeah. value themselves or like, okay. Um, yes, I do think so. I think it, I think it has, and even I think in Postmates, which is like an itty bitty business in comparison to Uber, I still think just given the fact that they're in the same, um, that they are all on demand businesses, that there had to have been some learnings they could take from that. And, and DoorDash, especially, because I mean, damn, if it's going to be valued at $13 billion, that's going to make... I mean, just like we should put that into context. That makes it one of the most valuable startups in the world. Also, almost as much worth as much as Lyft, which had, you know, several billion dollars in revenue last year. So like, because Lyft is now worth 15, maybe 16 billion. I'd have to go look it up, but like it's right in there. So you're getting into that range, you know, it's it's a lot of money. Exactly. Like I think um, I'm looking at a list right now of the most valuable companies and yeah, $13 billion puts it behind Stripe, Airbnb, Jewel, WeWork and a couple others. So that's just crazy. Palantir. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, that's wild. And uh, it, was, it sounds like it's definitely going to happen. And I mean, I guess probably a couple more years then until the IPO. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's go back in time a little bit and uh, remind everyone of when Blue Apron was hot. I know it sounds like that never happened, but it was actually a thing for a minute. And then they went public and then they quickly became not hot. And then the uh, kind of packaged meal delivery service world went to hell. But not everyone died. 
uh, Kate, someone still raised. I'm excited. Tell me about this. Yeah. Um, so Sunbasket uh, has just raised a Series E uh, of $30 million. And actually, I want to say um, one anecdote about Blue Apron. Um, I remember when they filed for their S1 to go public, I was at a baseball game and I had to leave and go <laughs> blog about the, um, Blue Apron IPO. So that's uh, not the best memory. But um, yeah, so Blue, uh, Blue Apron, Sunbasket, these were, they were all kind of part of the same cohort of um, earlier meal kit delivery yeah. companies. Um, so Sunbasket, it's, it's the same as the rest, although it uses organic and quote unquote healthy ingredients so it's kind of like if you you know if you're looking for a healthy specifically healthy milk at startup that's sort of where you'd want to go um but uh, you know a couple years back uh, actually amid the whole on-demand apocalypse um sunbasket was rumored to maybe could be considering an ipo um you know that seems like probably not super likely at this point they've just raised a 30 million dollar round um and you know whatever it's not super exciting it is just another deal in the food space but I was, I know I did cover it and I was reading through some of the stuff they sent me and they provided an interesting financial metric that yeah. I wanted to ask you about and see if you can tell me more because, you know, I was kind of unsure. So they said, um, Sunbasket is one of the fastest growing meal delivery services. Uh, it's grown at 80% CAGR over the past three years. CAGR being compound annual growth rate, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So- this is one of those metrics you have to kind of think about because over the last three years could mean 18, 17, 16. It can mean last three years from like, I don't know, the start of May back uh, 36 months, a bit flexible on the time frame here. And then they just say, I think grow or growth there. So we don't know if this is like revenue or a different revenue like statistic, uh, but an 80% compound annual growth rate from any material revenue base adds up pretty quickly. So it sounds impressive, but I wanted to throw a couple caveats on that. When they, yeah, when a startup says something like we're growing fast, comma, like 80% CAGR, like comma, like three years, like they're throwing all these sort of strange different figures at you and it makes it a lot harder to make sense of it, right? Like, does that frustrate you when you're reading press releases from startups? I mean, it's such a nice change from when they told us nothing that I'm hesitant to be too complaining about it because I want them to keep doing it. It's still better than having nothing. Um, I mean, is it is it better than having nothing when they say that? We have no idea what the baseline, we have no idea what the 80%, it could be a $1. Sure, but it, 80% but it does I mean, help explain how they raised again. So the way that I think about this is um, they raised a series D in uh, January of 18, right? And now they've raised an E in May of this year. So presumably they grew about 80% Actually, a little more than that because it's uh, longer than a year-long period. So, say they're up 100%. You can kind of get why they raised again. Uh, and also, the smaller raise that they did because their Series E was smaller than their Series D in that context implies either close to profitability or a sustainable growth rate that doesn't cost that much. So, it does provide some context. I agree you have to kind of work around the outsides, Kate. Like, I hear your point. Mm-hmm. I don't want to dismiss it. But I would rather have the hard challenge and, and try to get there myself than to have nothing to chew on, I guess. Maybe that's stupid, yeah. but – no, that's fair. And and they also said, um, just to note, uh, that they plan on using the, the money to uh, incorporate uh, meal kit services for breakfast and lunch. So you could have all your meals through Sunbasket if that's uh, something you desired. Uh, well, I did Blue Apron for a while years and years ago. It didn't go well. So I think I'm good. I think I'll pass. And like I was telling you before we recorded, I had Blue Apron for the first time 
<laughs> this week. So I'm a, I'm a few years late, but um, so late. I have to say I enjoyed my experience quite a bit. Tell everyone what you made. I made a shrimp curry. And? And it was good. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 I was with three people total, so it wasn't really ideal for three people, but it worked out. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, leave behind the delicious food and quickly talk about something really quickly, which is the TransferWise secondary round that went down this week. Um, this is going to be the technical ish part of the show. So if you're more interested in like big shiny numbers, not for you, but if you care about how things work, uh, stick with us. So Kate transfer wise is a European unicorn that does money transfers. I think it's pretty well known now. Is that fair? I would say it's quite well known now. Yeah. Well, at least in our circles. Uh, I don't know. We're in a bubble. Yeah, we're in a bubble, but I think, fine, let me rephrase inside of tech transfer wise is becoming a name. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. Um, they just sold two, well, allowed for the sale of, I should say, $292 million of their stock in a secondary transaction. And what that means is things were sold from extant shareholders to other people, but the company itself didn't sell new shares to generate capital for itself. So it's a way to provide liquidity to existing shareholders, like employees, maybe some early investors, maybe an executive who quit, whatever, um, without forcing the company to go public. Notably, when this happens, at least in my experience, and email me people if I'm wrong, companies don't tend to reprice too much when they do one of these huge sales. But TransferWise was priced at $3.5 billion in this transaction, way up from its November 2017 Series E that valued it at $1.6 billion. So the company didn't raise money for itself, but did reprice and allow for a lot of liquidity and critically, I presume, put off the need for an IPO. And that is a disappointment for us because we love talking about IPOs on this show. But I guess, I mean, Kate, my my impression of this story is it's a huge deal that no one cares about and it's going to slip away in the news cycle in a week. You know, like this is, this would have been headline news in 2012. This would have been like the biggest news of the month, mm -hmm. you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, but so what? I mean, are you saying like they're just that the bubble is going to pop or I I don't know. I feel like we should people should talk more about this. I I see very little Mm -hmm. chatter on Twitter about it. I don't see a lot of uh, a lot of commentary. I mean, it just more than doubled this valuation in a secondary that was almost three hundred million dollars. Like, I don't know, maybe in five years from now, that'll be crazier to hear. But it's just it's nuts. Right. I mean, I wonder if that happens a lot more too than we realize, and that's that could be part of the reason why some of these companies' valuations sort of tumble forward so quickly is because there's a lot of secondary activity. Mm. But I don't, I don't know. It's it's that's, I mean, the whole entire industry is so opaque. But man, like the secondary market is is difficult, a difficult nut to yeah, carry. it's 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 the opaque of the opaque. Um, Transferwise though did drop some numbers, and I, I wanted to bring this up because I think I know why Transferwise managed such a large transaction at such a high price. And uh, in 2018, the firm did—I have the numbers here—revenue of around 148 million. I converted that from pounds, I think, so do your own math. And net profit of around eight billion post tax, eight million, sorry, post tax. So the company is growing and it's profitable, and it's now in super high demand from investors who are kind of trying to get its shares any way they can. So I think that the real unicorns now are companies that are growing and are profitable while also being worth over a billion dollars. Because we've seen very few of these. Zoom famously uh, was a profitable company in its S1. Appears TransferWise also is. You know, I can't name more than two. And uh, that makes them actually as rare as a unicorn should be, in my view. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking maybe we should just 
actually stop using the term unicorn unless they're profitable. Um, the problem with that is it would be a two-person crusade against a, a wave of usage. <laughs> Uh, I don't think I you mean, and I, I have think, that clout. No offense to us. I think you and I do think you and I are responsible for um, using that term, like at least like twenty percent of the times that it's used. That's so. an, if that's true, I'm going to retire. Um, <laughs> but I, I hear your point. We should actually get rid of the word unicorn. It's now effectively meaningless. It means nothing. And uh, profitable, growing, and worth a billion would be a great constellation of things to actually meet some threshold to be called special, because that is well. Hard. Before we close out, though, I do want to ask you something about this um, secondary round. So, so you know how we talked about how Uber did a lot of this, um, uh, and it kind of seemed like their valuation actually peaked before they went public. Yes. Do, is it possible, like with companies like Transferwise doing a bunch of secondary um, transactions, uh, seeing their valuation kind of expand? Uh, you know, nine years—it's nine years old. Yeah. So let's we should point that out as well. Um, do you think that could ultimately negatively impact any kind of IPO? So. The answer is possibly. It could set up expectations that are too high that it then can't meet in the future. That's the real risk. But my impression is that given its profitability, implied growth rates, and current revenue scale, the $3.5 billion valuation isn't insane. And so the company should be able to grow into it, is my thought. Uh, if it needs any more capital to do so, it can it can raise it. There's no problem. It's proven that it can sell almost $300 million in secondary shares, right? So why can't it sell another $100 million in primary? Uh, so no, I don't see this as a, as a risky transaction because it's so strong. But Uber um, had a lot of secondary activity for a long time. And I don't think people understood fully how unprofitable it was or also how much its growth was slowing on a sequential quarter basis. And th that combination is what kept its valuation down when it went public. But I don't see that happening transfer-wise uh, for two reasons. One, it hasn't. And two, I think the TAM for its business is uh, is global and enormous and probably rising over time um, because crypto has famously failed to uh, to win uh, that market of like remittances and, mm -hmm. and trade across borders and all that. Right, yeah. right, right. So I, I don't view this as particularly dangerous, but I do think you make a good point. Some companies could get ahead of their skis in this way. But in this case, eh, I'm not too concerned. Cool. Well, it'll be interesting to see if other companies pursue similar transactions that help them delay their IPOs. Um, I guess we will just wait and see. Yep, we will. I'll talk to you next week, Kate. Have a good one. You too. Bye. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. And a big thank you to our producer, Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickovet, And we will see you all right here next week. But in this case, eh, I'm not too concerned. Okay, well, thank you for, um, oh, sorry, that was, <laughs> <laughs> oh, was that, was that, was that being no, mean? I was I accidentally mean? No, I just didn't know what to say. Well, thanks for that. All right, I guess it's over. Hi. Sorry, oh no, <laughs> yeah, you I, 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 no, you did I'm good. so sorry. You didn't do anything. You just, Kate, Kate screwed up the transition. <laughs> I just got bored of what you were saying. <laughs> Uh, and I, also, I, I was tweeting something and then I realized you were talking about crypto and I was like why are we talking about crypto <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, bro you can't like literally phase out during the recording but I tweeted about about um the unicorn <laughs> thing so <laughs> okay you just a you asked me a question tuned out the answer tweeted and then dropped your, your answer your back. answer was great though <laughs> it was so boring you stopped listening that's not a good answer <laughs>